I was about five years old and I remember being scared out of my wits. We were walking through a shopping precinct. My mom was dragging me to, I think it must have been a doctor's appointment or a checkup of some sort, walking through this precinct in Fareham. There's a mall and malls back in England in those days had fountains in the middle as this sort of center point this focal point where people would gather. And at this center point in the mall, there would be this huge group of punks. It may have only been five or six, but to a kid, it probably looked like 20 or 30. And there they were. It was 1977, the height of punk rock music in England. People standing with ripped tartan jeans, safety pins out of their noses, bright Mohicans, leather jackets, snarling, looking vicious, intimidating and fearful. That was pretty scary for a kid. I felt like somehow I had walked into some kind of alien planet and these punks would kill me. Of course, they weren't interested in a five-year-old kid. They were simply interested in the reactions they got from the old ladies. In most of the cases, they were probably kids themselves, just no more than 14, 15, 16, just hanging out as kids do anywhere in the world. But it made a lasting impression upon me, and maybe I didn't realize it until later life. 1986, I remember distinctly, I was age 14, catching the train to London on my own to meet a friend, and we went shopping together. And as you did as a teenager, you go shopping to record stores, as we had back then, and McDonald's. That was it. Record store, McDonald's. And at the record store, you bought vinyl records or tapes. And at McDonald's, you had a burger. That was afternoon out. That was a day out for teenagers back then. So here we are at Tower Records on Tottenham Court Road, and I'm rummaging through the bargain basement for tapes. I find there a tape. It was The Clash by The Clash. It was 1986, just less than 10 years since my experience in Ferrum Mall, And there I was buying a punk music tape. I was 14 years old. I was at odds with the world. I wanted somehow to find something that understood me and spoke to me and felt like I could belong. When I got home, I listened to the tape and my world changed forever. And these are the two drivers of mankind. The need to belong and the need to be significant. That's all we want. And if you know how to provide them, you know how to create connection, create engagement, lead people and sell. Even if these drivers don't serve us well, they are our prime motivators. Take, for example, cigarettes. Why would anybody consume a product that killed them? It doesn't make sense. But then... Not everything does make sense. People buy on emotion and justify with logic. We are emotional beings motivated by these drivers, the need to belong 
and the need to be significant. What more could be a belonging for an aspirant teenager than to belong to a group of smokers, outcasts, rebels without a cause, defying parents, defying society, defying all manner of logic, hanging out in the bike sheds as we did smoking cigarettes for no other reason but just to belong. It didn't make sense. And what could be more significant for a teenager who is ignored, cast out by the world as neither child nor adult, having no money yet needing to buy clothes and records and tapes and albums and the identities of belonging, but yet not having a job, standing there at the mall in the days when you could smoke inside with other mates hanging out and smoking What could be more significant, looking like James Dean or looking like every movie star back then or Hollywood star who was always, if they were a rebel, with a leather jacket caught smoking? Interestingly, around about the late 90s, 1998, I had a business which studied how young people used mobile phones. Now, Before I left for Japan in the mid-90s, I remember sitting in a circle with friends. This was post-graduation, post-university. And in those days, when you sat with friends, you sat around a table. In the days that people smoked inside because it was legal, we sat in a table. And when we sat in that circle, five people sat and they put their cigarette packets on the table. Marlboro, silk cut. Camel, Marlboro, Camel. Every cigarette packet identified who they were and said something about them. Nobody smoked cigarettes because they tasted good. They smoked cigarettes because the brand gave them a sense of belonging. There was a difference between the guy who smoked Camel and the guy who smoked Silk Cut. It said something about them and it was something that they ascribed to and therefore they put their cigarette packets on the table. Now, around about 1998, when I came back from Japan and we started the business for youth research into mobile phones, an interesting thing happened. Around about that time, I caught up with old friends and a similar situation occurred and these were the the sort of the class reunions that you would have in your mid late 20s people would gather together still maintain old relationships with university friends and also keep an eye and catch up see what everybody else was doing benchmark yourself against them how are they doing in their career how am i doing in my career am i doing okay so here we are sitting in a table in a bar and instead of cigarette packets they were mobile phones Everybody put their mobile phone out on the table. No cigarette packets. Nokia. Sony Ericsson. Nokia. These were the phones of the day. And they said something about us in the same way that cigarettes said something about us. And interestingly, you look at the impact of mobile phones on cigarette consumption by young people. Cigarette consumption had been largely stable 
and unchanged by teens for 30 to 40 years. All those years of public education telling young people about the ills and the dangers and the stupidity of smoking had had very little impact on the actual numbers. At the beginning, yes, but then you were left with this hardcore of smokers who ignored what public health advice said. And those numbers were stable for 30 years. So all those public health messages were wasted. Millions, billions of dollars spent telling people about cigarettes were falling on deaf ears. And yet, something around 1998 changed. For the first time in 30 years, young people's consumption of cigarettes started to fall. And it wasn't because suddenly they woke up and thought, hmm, you know what? Maybe my parents and maybe society is right. And maybe I am stupid and I should stop smoking. No, not at all. What happened was they replaced one social tool with another. The first social tool cigarettes that gave them belonging significance had been replaced with another social tool that gave them equal belonging and significance, the mobile phone. So when we understand products at the physical level, they look very different. Cigarettes and mobile phones are in no way occupying the same category. But when we understand human behavior, it doesn't ascribe or belong to any particular category. That's why the competition for cigarettes is not other cigarette brands, it's mobile phones. It defies logic, but that's how we behave as emotional beings. If you want to stop mass shootings, like those crazed idiots that walk into schools in America and shoot all the kids, then we need to stop celebrating mass shooters. These people aren't doing it because they're ignoring the advice of government and parents and saying this is a very bad idea. They're doing it because somehow it makes them feel significant. Sure, they're mentally unstable, But what it has given them is an opportunity to be significant. If you put a gun to somebody's head on a rating of zero to 10, how significant is that person? Probably about 10. Right now, that person is 10 out of 10. And even if those drivers don't serve them well, they're driving them to perform certain behaviors. There are many TV programs which celebrate idiotic behavior because in the quote unquote words of the the participants, I'll do anything to be on TV. You know, the only thing worse than being humiliated by your friends is being ignored by them. Starbucks doesn't sell coffee. It sells the two drivers that make us commit to a product or a brand or behave in a certain way. Starbucks sells space. 
a place to belong, a lifestyle, and significance. It's twice as expensive as McDonald's. There are about 70,000 combinations of your favorite latte, and you look cool walking down the street holding a Starbucks cup in your hand. Those are the two drivers of behavior, the need to belong and the need to be significant. Now, in the commercial world, we sell out. We compromise our beliefs and our behaviors to belong and be significant. In the world of punk, to sell out was the ultimate crime. It was a negative. People were called sellouts. And in the words of The Clash, every gimmick hungry yob digging gold from rock and roll grabs the mic to tell us he'll die before he's sold. The key is staying true to your story. Giving people something to belong to and something that makes them feel significant in a way that's positive and contributes positively to their lives and to society. You can choose. You can choose to start a company or start a movement. But when you do, just be clear in your head, who are you speaking to and who are you speaking for? The reason we love music is because it gives people a voice. It speaks to the pain inside them. We all were born with adversity. We've all faced our own version of overcoming in our lives. And that is why we still need music in our lives, because it speaks for that journey. The worst songs in the world are the ones that are all happy, happy. The best songs are the sad songs, but maybe spoken in a positive or a a, a productive way. Every single song, every single story is one of loss and overcoming. And that's what you can do too. You can tell a story of loss and overcoming, and then we can relate to you and you can speak for other people as well. Give people a voice. Giving people a voice doesn't necessarily mean giving people a megaphone because not everybody wants to stand up and shout out, I am here or hello world. A lot of people just want you to speak for them. And this is the power of podcasting. Quite often, you can record an episode and then somebody will write to you on LinkedIn or email or stop you in the street and say, that episode that you talked about, that thing, that spoke to me here. You were speaking for me, to me. And that is when podcasts are as powerful as music. You give people something to belong to. You give something that makes them feel significant. You give people a voice. So rather than give them information, give them a flag around which they can rally. You don't need a lot of people. Just plant that flag and a hundred people is enough to make it worthwhile. But first, plant the flag. Plant the flag.